Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 55, we're joined by Venkatasan Morali. And that's the only time I'm ever going to say his first name because I've come to love him as Morali. He's founder and chief technical officer at Merlin Solar, where we talk about informed risk taking, how he got into solar, why commercial transportation is a key space for solar, and how he learned to speak the language of trucking. He also explains the importance of articulating the return on investment equation and providing hard data to fleets. He shares his thoughts on solar's applicability to electric vehicles and about being open-minded as we navigate to the future. Today we have joining in Venkatasan Morali, but as he wants to be called, just Morali. Um, but I thought I'd be a little formal to an old friend of mine. He's founder and chief technical officer at Merlin Solar. Uh, it's a real pleasure having you on today, Morali, and I'm excited about this. Thanks for joining us. Mike, thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, as somebody who has uh, been championing this field, we've been watching you uh, and your work very closely, and it's indeed an honor to be on your podcast. Yeah, outstanding. So we've got a lot to get through. Um, what You know, this podcast is titled Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. And do you remember when we actually uh, first met, Morali? Um, this was 20... 16, if I remember right. Did we meet at TMC or did we meet? Uh... Yeah, I was trying to remember as well. It, it was at a, at an, I think it was actually at an event at a trucking show. Um, somebody put us together uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, going to get into Mike, I remember who it was. It was Bergstrom who put us together. It was uh, Bergstrom CEO, uh, uh, Jack Schaefer, who basically said, do you know Mike Roth? I mean, he's doing some great work. This is somebody that you should meet. Putting together trucking and solar, you know, it just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't make sense. I remember when we first started talking, it ha- it now makes sense. But you know, I remember when we first started talking, I was thinking, all right, solar, that's for buildings, that's for fields around airports. I mean, you know, uh, what does it have to do with with the, the actual trucks? And then, um, you know, we started talking. NACFI has done actually confidence reports on solar and found it to be a, a really smart thing to do. Tell us about your career and what kind of got you into into this work here now. Um, so my my own my own background is, you know, I, I did my undergrad in chemical engineering in India from one of the Indian institutes of technology. Right, um, presumably smart because you know it's tough to get in. Blah blah blah. I came here on, a, on an IBM fellowship to study uh, uh, materials engineering uh, in grad school uh, at RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York, where I experienced my first snow, where I experienced uh, my first sets of exciting research work that you know went beyond uh, I study because I would otherwise I would. Uh, uh, disappoint my parents. So I truly fell in love with what I did. So I reached my ikigai, if you will, the Japanese, my mission in life, um, completely by serendipity when I was doing my uh, PhD in materials engineering. It was in semiconductors. So I came in 84 after my undergrad. By 87, I was done with my PhD and I was out to change the world. Um, and as an IBM scholar, you get an, you know, it was almost automatic that you would join IBM Nation. Remember this, it was its heyday. And uh, by complete luck, my, my thesis advisor, who happened to be a former distinguished member of technical staff of AT&T Bell Labs, and Bell Labs and, and IBM used to hate each other, 
decided that I should go check out this little known company called Intel, right? So I flew down to San Jose and, you know, I saw the tree, the palm tree lined streets and I said, that's where I'm living. So I joined Intel, not because uh, it was particularly uh, something that excited me technically, because IBM was the, the in thing, but uh, it was actually the Bay Area which did me Boy, was I lucky in that serendipitous uh, choice as well. Uh, Intel in those days was like a startup, which uh-huh. a startup was doubling every 18 months or so, Mike. And so I, I, you know, the company was growing rapidly and it, I found my meteor there where, uh, you know, informed risk-taking was absolutely lauded that even when you failed, if you failed for the right reasons, you actually got promoted. Luckily, I had a series of wins in my career and I was rapidly growing when the entrepreneurial uh, uh, thing bit. And the reason I said, and I'll keep the rest of it very short, the reason that I spoke so so much about Intel is if you really tear me open and look inside, I think there's an Intel inside somewhere. <laughs> very funny, very funny. Right. So I like that. I like that informed risk taking. I mean, I'm sure that's a that maybe is a more common term than I'm that I'm familiar with, but because uh, I think he, you know, I've always I've always struggled with the fail fast and often as a as a means to be successful. I mean, I always struggle with that. I don't like I don't like losing. I, I and I'm usually kind of conservative with what I go tackle. Um, I mean, things are. I mean, like run on less and some other things might be considered kind of bold, but. But I, I I I usually do it with a lot of confidence. So I don't know. I uh, I've been curious about all that failure and what to learn from it. But well, for me, uh, you know, if I were to really look back at my career, I think uh, the day I joined, the speaker, luckily for us, was Andy Grove, the founder and you know uh, iconic uh, figure in semiconductors. And he, the, you know, he, he walked walked us through how tough an environment Intel was. Blah blah blah. There were regular gasps around me. One of the things he said is that we don't like people who make the same mistake twice and there was an audible gasp. So the equivalent was, you know, we'll fire you if you keep making mistakes. I had a big smile on my face. It's like, that means I can make it, make the mistake the first time. <laughs> it was purely interpretation. It was just that I met what I wanted. So, right. you know, that led me to becoming an entrepreneur. So in 2000, at the peak of the optical telecom bubble, I founded my first company. And 9-11 happened about nine months after I founded my company. Uh, I survived all of that. Uh, I didn't know anything about optical telecom, excepting what I had read in some papers. And we came up with the best company there is uh, in, in the field of planar light wave circuits. It's still around, uh, still viewed as the leader. In fact, some of the communication that we are probably having is over one of the servers, which uses some of the components in the optical telecom uh, 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 backbone of, of telecom. So. Once that was done, I, I, know I, was, I was just turning 40 and I promised my wife I would retire, so I retired. Three years later, uh, <laughs> I got bored and, and got back in. And again, I went into semiconductors. Um, and my, you know, I was, I was um, uh, belly aching to my uh, young son who was sitting in the back uh, and, and about the fact that we had gone to war in Iraq for oil. This was in the 2007-8 timeframe. And he basically, you know, chimed in from the back all of 14 years, worldly wise, said, Dad, so speaks a guy who's driving a, a hard top uh, uh, convertible Mercedes Benz, which is a gas guzzler. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, that day I went and immediately I went in and bought my first Prius, right? But I recognized very quickly that I needed to do something about it. The way you are doing NACFI and the way you're educating is, is, is something that's so fantastic for me. So I, it's not without risk there. I know you go with confidence, but what you're setting out to do is mindsets. And it was a brutal education for me when I first interacted with the tech industry. As I normally say, I'm a brown guy from a blue state selling green in red country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I hear you. And, uh, you know, I was told uh, by a, a, an old dear friend of mine not too long ago that said, Mike, what happened to you? You used to be the rah, rah, uh, engine guy. You know, what, what happened to you? And, you know, I just, I've, I found these, this really cool thing called electric vehicles. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a right brain and a left brain reason to do it. You, you might actually hear more from me in the coming months about this whole piece, but I think there's a, the data is telling us to go there. Um, and the experience and the right thing to do for, for the environment and for the future is a reason to go. So there's this right brain, left brain around electric vehicles. That's uh, really got a lot of energy on me, but uh, let's get to solar. So um, how, how then did, 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 did that, did Merlin and solar come to be? So the minute, the minute he said that, and I recognized that, you know, buying a few Priuses or now on my fourth Tesla, it assuages your, your, uh, uh, your conscience a little bit, but you know, as you said, if I didn't put my personal muscle, my technical muscle, my financial muscle, and my uh, professional muscle behind uh, Merlin, then this whole thing that I'm, I was worried about, which was uh, the oncoming climate change and a few other things, uh, you know, how was I? How was I really contributing to society? Right. So I'm, I'm all of 58 now. I have a few more years left in me, but I wanted to make what I was doing count for the next generation. So I went back and looked at first person foremost, I did what every entrepreneur does, uh, studied how it has been done so far, what are some of the weak points of uh, how it was done. And very quickly in solar, uh, my uh, semiconductor arrogance, for lack of a better word, was beaten out of me. Bottom line is uh, solar is a, is, is a lot simpler technology as compared to say something like uh, semiconductors, but the amount of money available to solve a problem was also about 100x lower in order to meet cost targets, et cetera. So it really opened up an avenue of uh, uh, technology development and invention that I had not participated in before. So I quickly put a team together and we basically made the decision that we don't want to be simply a commodity purveyor of solar for solar farms and rooftops. We want to do that too, but we don't want to get in there because we don't want to be a me too. We also said that the solar uh, industry is extremely conservative. So if we go in there and offer uh, changes which are uh, you know, earth shifting, the, pro the ability to penetrate the market is going to be limited. So we also put together a boundary, set of boundary conditions, which basically said three things no new atoms, so let's give them the same atoms they're used to, uh, no new physics, let's use the standard physics of uh, PV technology. At the same time, we want to change the entire thought of how solar is deployed. So to borrow from a, a phrase from Star Trek, we wanted to create a solar panel and make the solar panel where no other solar panel had gone before. 
right? So as much as we would like to thump our chest about the fact that we are expected by the US Marines, the US Army, the US Air Force, and we've been deployed in Afghanistan and Iraq, as much as we would like to thump our chest about the fact that we are uh, deployed on top of uh, these 300 feet diameter diesel uh, uh, storing tanks that you find dotted around, or we are present up in, in space on balloons in the stratosphere or satellites in near Earth orbit, or on autonomous drones that go through to Antarctica or, or to Arctic, uh, these are ocean going drones, or into various hurricanes. The toughest place, Mike, for us to put solar panels on are on the fairing of, say, a freight liner Cascadia thundering down a road uh, at 60 miles an hour. You're in gale force winds. You cannot penetrate the roof. It needs to be lightweight. It cannot affect the aerodynamics of it. It needs to produce a lot of power irrespective of how the mounting uh, location is and how it is, uh, you know, what direction the truck is going in. There is vibration of every amplitude and frequency around. There are tree branches and road debris that is going to happen. And to produce something that would survive and thrive in this environment and produce enough energy to be of meaningful use, right? So whether it is supporting an IoT device at the low end or trickle charging batteries so that you can extend the battery life of lead acid AGM batteries or providing adequate energy into the batteries so that you can essentially meet all the hoteling needs was the first place where we started. From there, we moved quickly on to the fact that the trailers offer dramatic opportunities, whether it's liftgate or now we extensively supply to the all electric truck refrigeration unit, uh, anywhere from 36, 48 and 53 foot trailers. We are the go-to guys in that space. So we very quickly defined commercial transportation as a key place. And from there, we went off to motor coaches, to buses, to vans, work vans, and, and, and as well as RVs. From there, we went off into SUVs, right? So we ab absolutely carved out a gamut of applications for ourselves. We stay away from propulsion of the vehicle with the exception of all electric uh, uh, golf carts and these road EVs, which go up to 25 miles per hour max speed. And it's a fairly significant business for us on that front. But our primary focus is on battery maintenance, idle mitigation, and providing enough energy, usable energy to batteries that are used in commercial transportation. Yeah, you know, and it's so interesting. And I think you, you know, you articulated really what we found in our confidence reports, um, you know, where, you know, some of these uh, trailer telematics, uh, you know, need to stay alive um, during long periods. You don't know when these trailers are going to be dropped and left. So, you know, keeping those alive with a small panel all the way up to the whole trailer or, yeah, that tractor. I mean, the most fascinating for me has been, um, you know, these flexible solar panels uh, on that air fairing. And, um, you know, providing, you know, the, the power to get to almost zero uh, idle of an engine during hoteling. That's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. And, you know, we see it on social media with some of the other advocates uh, that are going on. So uh, what, what, besides like the, just the, the, how difficult the uh, application is, what, what else have you learned in the trucking uh, space that, that might be interesting for, you know, us to think about, you know, apl applying a technology. I mean, everybody, so everybody knows solar, um, but how you apply it 
to a truck, um, besides just the difficulty and the durability that you've already been through, what else in trucking surprised you? I, I made the mistake. I made the mistake early on. Uh, extremely well put question, Mike, by the way. Um, I made the mistake initially of speaking to decision makers in trucking in the language of a Silicon Valley solar company. Uh-oh. And, and it was, yeah, it was ships passing in the dark. Now I can tell you confidently that per truck, per truck, per year, I can save 10 uh, tons uh, of carbon dioxide emissions based upon actual pilot data by multiple fleets, right? So this is essentially converting the number of gallons of diesel saved from idling mitigation to the amount of carbon dioxide net, right? But when I first went into this and I would say greenhouse gas emissions, uh, you know, it was one of those looks of incomprehension or, you know, there comes an idiot from California kind of stuff, right? All good. So I really quickly realized that, you know, this is this whole thing of, uh, I'm from Missouri, where is the moxie uh, is, is absolutely true, right? So I needed to speak in the language of these hardworking trucking companies, which, you know, which are focusing on eking out margins and, and, and profitability in, in a very grueling space, right? So we changed our focus almost entirely immediately to saying, the only thing that really matters is the return on investment and the return on investment that keeps in mind that these various assets classes that we're dealing with have uh, you know, typical lives of you know, less than five years with a, uh, with a particular owner. Right? And therefore, yep. we started focusing on how do we deliver a one-year or sub-one-year ROI on a product where the data is, is so overwhelming that uh, despite significant well-set opinions, we are able to break through. So that was one thing which I learned. The second thing was a question that I had to answer for myself. It was very well articulated by Matt McLean recently, which is, hey, you have a 500 watt solar panel on the Cascadia, looks cool, great, but you're up against a 270 amp uh, inverter, uh, alternator, which is charging the battery. So what, what are you going to do, right? What kind of value, value are you bringing to this, to, this, uh, uh, to this picture here? So, you know, and, and by the way, the answer is, 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 is there. Now we, I know exactly how to answer it, but, so the, the first things first was for me to understand and articulate the return on investment, financial return on investment equation. The second is understanding the fact that I needed to provide hard data in an easily digestible format while minimizing the amount of pain to the fleets to gather the data. So for me, it was very important immediately to find an IoT partner who can grab the kind of data I needed and I also needed to find fleets which were willing to look ahead. And I had to then bet the, the farm, uh, the company on the fact that I was going to give away uh, pilots to people that they didn't need to pay me if they didn't like the results. So I was literally betting $50,000, $100,000 on these pilots, which could last up to a year in many cases because they wanted to test all the seasons just so I could collect the kind of data that they would find compelling. We, we at NACFI, we got a lot of experience in the trucking industry and we, we try to coach 
organizations like yours around this total cost of ownership? And, and, and some people, I think, look at it and say, well, of course, um, you know, decision makers want to have a TCO. But in trucking, you know, this is a, a, a fairly thin margin business and they really need to focus on it. It's in the, ingrained in all of us. Um, to deliver. I think that's going to do a service really well as we move forward. You know, I, I, a lot of the work we do in zero emission vehicles, there's there's a little bit of an air around them of, well, you got to do it. You know, their regulations, sustainability, you know, you got to do it. So trucking companies forget TCO and just get on with saving the planet and so forth and so on. And, you know, that isn't going to cut it. Um, and it shouldn't because um, we should have that fine fine tuning and there's a occasionally I, I challenge the industry a little bit that we don't need a one year payback if you're going to own the asset for four years but but having that ingrained in us of a of a diligence around cost and tco not upfront cost not just operating costs but the you know the capital the operating costs even what we call what we like to call difficult to monetize benefits and risks get it all in there and, uh, and and then make really informed decisions. And if you want to then say, okay, well, this technology and this choice is going to have an environmental impact and or this or that or the other, you know, put some dollars to that, but but keep that TCO focus. I and mean, it's really critical to all of us being successful. Totally, sir. I, I think that the cost of ownership, the total cost of ownership that you've been championing is the key. And it needs to be said in the same terminology that trucking understands. And I and your, your read on the whole electric transportation is so bang on. The only thing I would add to it is that by the time the infrastructure rolls out to be able to adequately and uh, rapidly charge and make sure that the uptime available for transportation is there, I think all of us have to pull uh, in that direction. So we look at Merlin's applicability to electric vehicles as a given, but a lot of people confuse that that's where solar is applicable. Mm. What we find is that solar is, Merlin is an excellent bridge as a fleet navigates itself profitably from uh, a diesel trucking to a, a mix of diesel and electric trucks to all electric trucks. Yeah, and we're going to need, you know, to your point around using the power for, um, you know, uh, needs other than, uh, uh, yeah, we, um, you know, we're yet to totally understand how much more energy we're going to need for these trucks. We got refrigeration, um, you know, refrigerated trucks, got cold weather operation. We got um, all kinds of things that are going to be very demanding on these electric vehicles, and it's going to affect range. And so that battle of electric trucks and range is going to happen forever. And um and, you know, especially in trucks as well as passenger cars and whatever we can do with, uh, you know, regen, solar, other areas is going to be crucial. So, you know, Morali, I always run out of time, but I, I, I stay real committed to this, to this uh, you know, keep this under a half an hour for people, for our listeners. So um, let's wrap this up by saying, you know, what's one thing that the industry needs to know, you know, kind of my listening group needs to know about solar and commercial vehicles. Uh, that will help will help all of us. So, like like one piece of advice or or one thing that that you found that you really think we need to crack in order to to be more successful. I I think our industry and I consider myself a part of trucking is is too set in its ways. So, the 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 
environment in front of us, and I don't mean the physical environment, the business environment, uh, the physical environment, the political environment in front of us is complex. So our solutions need to be nuanced to meet all those needs. So for example, this whole notion that, you know, I have a 320 amp uh, alternator, what's 500 watts going to do it? Dig a little deeper and you'll see how much it saves. And on the other hand, which is, hey, I, you know, the point that you made, a truck, which is uh, electric truck, which is dragging an uh, all electric truck refrigeration unit behind it. There are ways in which the 6.5 kilowatts that we deploy on top of these 53 foot trucks can come in real handy in taking care of a lot of the load and allows the propulsion batteries to do its things. So there are these little things that if you just open us as a team, open our minds up from my side to understand better what the trucking industry is up against. And from the trucking industry side, to take in a guy like me to come up with the ideas that and offer them a Chinese buffet of ideas that they can figure out which ones fit them best and at which time. And open-mindedness, that's what I would say, sir. Yeah, very wise. And I think it's just already got us to some scaling in solar and electric uh, in, on these commercial trucks. So Morali, thank you so much. We, we got into a lot and it's been it's been a wonderful conversation. Um, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mike, for this opportunity. Much appreciated, sir. And God bless you. You're doing fantastic work. We are great fans of yours. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.